Praise the Lord. All right. Well, hey, we just finished up a, a series last week, and um, I'm ready to do uh, not another series, but this is sort of a uh, what they used to call a one-hit wonder, where uh, <laughs> songs are concerned, you know, those, those radio songs that, you know, a, a group or a performer would come out, and, and they would have a hit song, you'd never hear from them again. That's a one-hit wonder. So uh, this won't be the only time I teach on uh, fathers, but uh, this will be a one-hit wonder for the, the year. So... We're going to talk about legacy builders today, legacy builders, how fathers can shape the next generation, legacy builders, how fathers can shape the next generation. So in honor of Father's Day, before we get started here, I want to tell a dad joke. You know what a dad joke is? A dad joke is um, a joke that's really funny to the teller, but not that funny maybe to the hearer. A corny little joke, and here's my dad joke. Do you know what the worst time to have a heart attack is? During a game of charades. I know. There's never a good time to have a heart attack, but that's maybe the worst. So, all right. So our master text, on a more serious note, our master text is Psalm 78. So if you found that already, would you stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's word? And we're going to read the first eight verses here. And it says this, O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from old what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel when he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. So in keeping with that reading, uh, our goal as families and especially as fathers is to teach the next generation to be legacy builders so that we can pass on the knowledge of God to each succeeding generation. Well, in keeping with our topic today of legacy builders, how fathers can shape the next generation, um, you know, absentee fathers is one of the worst curses of this generation. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, 72% of Americans uh, believe that a fatherless home is the most significant social and family problem facing our nation today. 72% of Americans believe that that's the most significant social and family problem facing our nation today. So I'm going to read you a list of t- statistics right now, just highlighting the importance of fathers. And as I read these st- statistics, they're, they're going to clearly demonstrate the importance of fathers and how fathers leave a lasting legacy, whether good or bad. So there are several of them here. So look at the screen with me. One in four children now grow up without a father in the home. One in four. And children who grow up without a father in the home are twice as likely to commit suicide. 700% more likely to have children as teenagers. 160% more likely to have a premarital birth. And on that note, teen girls from fatherless homes are also four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. And it goes on. 92% are more likely to get divorced themselves. 92% of kids in fatherless homes 
are more likely to get divorced themselves. Now, by the way, I I was raised in a fatherless home. My parents were divorced when I was six years old. So I was raised in that kind of same environment. And, uh, you know, what I saw from my growing up, what I saw from my parents and, and the pain and the agony that it inflicted upon me and upon the rest of my siblings, I swore I was never going to allow that to happen to my children. So by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, Donna and I will celebrate our 30th year of marriage next month. Hallelujah. So uh, by the grace of God, we broke that statistic right there. Hallelujah. But let's go on here. Uh, Children from fatherless homes are 400% more likely to live in poverty. They are at a dramatically greater risk to abuse drugs and alcohol. They tend to do worse in school, are more likely to commit crimes. And on that note, 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. And 75% of rapists are motivated by displaced anger that is associated with feelings of abandonment that involves their father. Isn't that tragic? Well, if one in four children are raised without a father in the home, then there's probably a significant number of you in the room right now that that applies to, that fit that description, where you are raised either without a father in the home, or maybe you were raised with your father in the home, or maybe he was just very uninvolved in your life, or maybe he was even abusive. Well, the first thing I want to deal with this morning is perhaps a little bit of an uncomfortable topic for some of you that may have had experiences like that growing up, but it's our obligation to forgive our fathers. See, in many cases, listen to me, in many cases, those kinds of fathers were dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. And they were probably raised themselves by fathers who were dysfunctional. That's why they were like they were. They are like they are because of their upbringing. Okay, they were dysfunctional. And folks, listen to me, to varying degrees, we're all dysfunctional. I want to say that again. To varying degrees, because you've got to get this concept. If we're going to truly be able to forgive fathers who were absent or abusive, we've got to get this thought down right here. To varying degrees, we are all dysfunctional because we're all infected with sin. I'm going to say that one more time. To varying degrees, we're all dysfunctional because we're all infected with sin. So forgiveness, then, is the only way through your pain. You know, Matthew 6, 12, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And one of the statements that he made in what's become known as the Lord's Prayer is this, and also forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the only way to get to the other side of your pain, ladies and gentlemen, is to acknowledge the injustice that you faced for what it is, sin, which we're all guilty of, right? And then forgive as we've been forgiven. Now, I want to encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 18. We won't turn to that this morning, but I want to encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 18, the latter half of that, and that's the parable of the unmerciful servant, And I'm not going to get into that. I've told that story several times. But at the end of that parable, Jesus said, And this is how your heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the unmerciful servant being thrown into debtor's prison because he was forgiven a huge debt. And then he went out to uh, choke somebody that owed him a relatively small debt even though he was forgiven of such a big one. And so the, the, the ruler that oversaw this situation heard about that and brought him back before his presence and said, shouldn't you have been merciful like I was merciful on you? And he revoked the forgiveness and reinstated the debt. That's a pretty heavy statement. We really need to deal with the levity and the gravity 
of that statement right there. You know, I know some people who have endured terrible things at the, at the hands of their parents. That really does happen. But I've also found, this is another side of the equation here, I've also found that there are other people who are very quick to zero in on the imperfections and mistakes of their parents and forget all the good that their parents have done for them. See, it's almost amusing to me uh, to see how some people will hold relatively small things against their parents and fail to realize that their parents have had to forgive them for their offenses over and over and over again and still love their children anyway. And we need to have the same attitude toward our parents. But for those of us who truly did experience terrible injustice at the hands of our parents. Um, You know, your terrible experiences and mine growing up helped to forge our character. It helped to forge our character. See, it gave us perspective that some people don't have. You know, I've talked to some people even very recently and I've gotten to know their stories and and I've heard about the horrific way that they grew up, and my heart just goes out to them. But by the same token, there's something about those horrific experiences growing up that helps to forge someone's character. It, it, it chisels you, right? So your terrible experiences and mine, if you respond to it correctly anyway, now there's a way to respond to it where it doesn't chisel your character, But if you respond to it correctly, it just chisels your character. See, it gives you compassion toward those who are suffering that some people don't have. It's one thing to to have compassion when you see someone suffering, but it's another thing to have compassion when you see someone suffering with something similar that you went through yourself. Because you, you have a unique perspective. You have a, a level of compassion that some people don't have that haven't experienced those things. Now, I agree that it's better to have a good and nurturing father versus the alternative. But God can still use a person with a terrible upbringing. In fact, one of God's specialties is to bring beauty in the place of ashes. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, on that note, I was, I'm reminded of uh, David when you know, he was growing up uh, with his numerous brothers. What was there? Like, he had like 11 brothers, something like that. And uh, the prophet Samuel came to his father's, father Jesse's house, uh, David's father Jesse, came to his house. And he was about to anoint the next king. And Jesse didn't know who it was, or uh, Samuel rather, didn't know who it was yet. And he went down the line of these tall, handsome, regal-looking sons. And Samuel said, surely this is the one. And God said, no, don't look at his outward appearance because I've rejected him. And he goes down the line, and he doesn't find anyone that the Lord said, yeah, that's the one. And so he asked Jesse, he said, do you have another son? And he said, yes, we do. We have a, a, a young one tending sheep out in the field. Well, if you go to the ancient Hebrew and you look up that word young that's been translated into English as young, it's actually the Hebrew word katan. Katan. And that word katan doesn't just mean young. It means unimportant, insignificant, and worthless. Jesse didn't even think too much of David. He regarded him as unimportant, insignificant, and even possibly Worthless. So that's basically what he told Samuel. Yeah, we have an unimportant and insignificant one out in the field tending sheep. I didn't even bother to call him in. Because he's insignificant and worthless. That's what Jesse pretty much thought of David. But God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Praise God. And when, when Samuel heard that, he said, call him in. We're not going to sit down to eat until you call him in. And that's when he anointed David, the next king over Israel, in the presence of his father and all of his brothers. So David even had a father wound because his brothers didn't like him either. David grew up in an environment where he was a castaway, a worthless one, unimportant. His father didn't think much of him, and his brothers didn't like him. 
But God had a plan for his life. And he went through those things, and that chiseled his character. And him being out in the field alone with those sheep allowed him to get to know God. Nobody else around except those sheep. He had a a relationship with God out in the, the seclusion that he may not have developed any other way. You know, in my case, Satan wanted to take me out very early in my life. You know, the pain of my upbringing led me to once begging God to kill me when I was about 12 years of age. And by the way, let me say a word about this. You know, children are designed by God to love and need both parents. And when you're being told... You can't be loyal to me and love that other parent. That is psychological torture to a child. And a young mind of six, seven, eight years old does not know how to process that. And that's what I went through as a little boy. Satan would have loved for me to commit suicide, as a matter of fact, because I think he saw the call in my life. But God had a different plan. You see, even without having the best upbringing, I stand before you today by the grace of God. You know, I cried out to him in my distress, and he rescued me. Praise God. And listen to me, God has a plan for your life as well. He didn't put you here on this earth without some sort of plan and intention for your life. He's got a plan for your life as well, and Satan's trying to take you out through several different means. If he can't take take your life, he'll try to divert your life and take your life down a different path that God didn't have in mind. So, my message to you this morning is to forgive what's been done to you because unforgiveness and bitterness will take your life down a path that God did not intend and Satan will thwart the plan of God for your life through bitterness and unforgiveness. So forgive what's been done to you. Move ahead in the grace of God and allow him to bring that beauty in the place of ashes as you stay close to his side. Praise God. Now, I want to, since we're talking about fathers here, I want to give you a perspective about the heavenly father relating to God as Abba. Relating to God as Abba. So in Galatians 4, 6, in the New Living Translation, it words it like this. We are his children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Well, let's define what Abba means if you've never heard that term. Uh, No, it's not a singing group from the 1970s. (laughs) That is a term for God. Okay, so Abba in the Greek, uh, uh, relating to Father, also used as the term of a tender endearment by a beloved child. In other words, in an affectionate, dependent relationship with their father, or in other words, daddy or papa. Okay, that's from the Helps Word Study. So if you pray to God and use the word papa or daddy, that's a very appropriate way to, to address God. Did you know that? That's a very appropriate way to do That's not too familiar. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you. In fact, I think some of you in the room do address God that way. Refer to him as Papa or Daddy. That's very appropriate. Okay, He's your Heavenly Father. And I realize that if you've had an upbringing with an absent or abusive father, it it might be more of a challenge to relate to God as Abba or your Heavenly Father. But I want us to imagine everything that we wanted our earthly dads to be. Just imagine the perfect scenario that you wanted your earthly dad to be, and then project that image onto God, because he's so much better than the best earthly father. You know, for, for all of my years growing up, you know, I was, I was a very needy uh, young person because my dad was hardly ever around. I got to see him on the weekends once in a while, but, you know, a, a young boy growing up needs his daddy. And I was very needy. I was very clingy to, to uh, older men because I needed an older uh, father figure in my life. I was very clingy to my older brother who was 10 years older than me, but he was out of the house when I was 8, and he was 18, and he went off to college in a different state. And so I just I needed a father figure in my life. And all of my life I cried out for a father figure and never found one. But God became my father figure. 
God became my daddy. And he taught me all the things that I was never taught growing up. Praise God. And that leads me to a very important point here uh, regarding this morning's teaching. Uh, regarding God being so much more than the best earthly father could be. And that's this point right here, honoring what God says about honoring our fathers. Okay, so our key concept for this morning is this. Fathers are supposed to be an extension of the love, authority, and guidance of God. Fathers are supposed to be an extension of the love, authority, and guidance of God. And this is why honoring our parents is so important to God. Because whether they did a good job or not, ladies and gentlemen, they are at the very least representations of the authority of God in our lives. Listen, remember from my Mother's Day teaching, if you weren't here and didn't hear that Mother's Day teaching, I would encourage you to go back to the the archives on the website, and it's just like, I don't know, what was it, four or five messages ago, and pull that up, because that has a a lot of detail about honoring our parents that I'm not going to be able to get into again today. Um, But one of the things I did say that I'm going to repeat for today is that it's so easy to point our fingers at the mistakes of our parents and not factoring in that you and I are going to make terrible mistakes ourselves. I'm going to say that again. It's so easy to to zero in on the imperfections and the mistakes of our parents, not factoring in that you and I have and are going to make terrible mistakes ourselves. And if you're old enough, you already made some terrible parenting mistakes. Am I right? So we need to go easy on our parents because Jesus said that with whatever measure you use to judge someone else, that same measure is going to be used to judge you and me. See, that's a mic drop statement right there, isn't it? With whatever measure we use to judge someone else, that same measure is going to be used to judge you and me. So let's look more closely from this, uh, from the perspective of both the child and the parent for a moment. We're going to revisit Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 that we looked at in our Mother's Day teaching, but we're going to zero in on a little bit of a different perspective on this. So let's read the first three verses again, um, and then we'll go to verse 4 here in a second after I give some commentary on these verses. Uh, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, and this is the promise it's referring to, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life upon the earth. Now, by the way, let me make mention of something I said in the Mother's Day teaching. God doesn't give an escape clause on this verse. In other words, he didn't say, well, honor your father and mother as long as they did everything right and parented you according to your liking. He did not say that, did he? He said, honor them, period. As a matter of fact, I'll repeat yet another thing that I said in the Mother's Day teaching. Uh, God said in the Old Testament, he put it like this, honor your father and mother, I am the Lord. Now, why did he say that? Well, why does he end a sentence with, I am the Lord? It's because when he adds that phrase, I am the Lord, at the end of a sentence, it means, I'm God, you're not, I'm very serious about this, now do what I say. I am the Lord is a huge statement. It means, I am very serious about this. Now, you as the creature and me as the creator, I want you to do what I say. Honor your father and mother I am the Lord. And he gave no escape clause on it. In fact, our obligation to honor our father and mother is even more pronounced, and I'm going to zero in on fathers here. Our obligation to honor our fathers is even more pronounced if you had a father who at least stayed with your mother and has provided for the family and and who has tried to raise you right as best as he knew how. And granting mistakes that were made along the way, sure, But if he tried to provide for you and teach you a few things growing up, then we ought to be thankful for that and honor them for that. 
And if for nothing else, that father helped to bring you into the world. Right? You know, for some reason, folks, society has become very good at celebrating women, but not very good at all at celebrating manly men. And let me, let me define what I mean by manly men. Uh, I'm not talking about the Dwayne the Rock Johnson kind of manly. I'm talking about men who are strong inwardly. Okay? Who, who stick with their family. Who love their wives. Who, who love their children. Who provide for them. Who work two jobs if necessary to work for and provide for their family. Who teach their children. Okay? Those are manly men. Okay? who try to keep the family together. Those are manly men. But it's kind of become in style these days to make husbands and fathers the brunt of jokes. And I believe that's demonic. Because fathers and husbands and good men are the foundation of our society. Say what you want to, but our society was built mostly by men. Godly men. With the help of of course, supporting women, of course. Of course, I'm not minimizing the role of women with that statement, but what I am trying to do is to, is to emphasize the importance of godly men, godly fathers, and godly husbands. It's so important for our society. Now, listen, being a father, a good father, is hard work. It's hard work. It's very hard work. It's expensive it's inconvenient, it's self-sacrificing, and sometimes it's even heartbreaking. See, even, even if you had a father who was even halfway involved in your life, you need to be thankful. Because some people don't have that at all. And some people have very abusive fathers. But folks, listen, even if your father was a complete and total failure, there's still benefit to you in obeying this verse. Why? Well, first of all, because God said so. And again, I am the Lord, he says. That, so that should be enough. But beyond that, let's reread verse 3. If you honor your father and mother, here's the promise, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life upon the earth. Praise God. You see, and you could write this down, there's always personal benefit in obeying God's word. There's always personal benefit in obeying God's word. And, and also, it, it takes the load of bitterness. This is one of the benefits right here. It takes the load of bitterness off of your shoulders. If your father wronged you severely, forgiving and honoring takes the load of bitterness off of your shoulders. Walking in forgiveness and offloading bitterness there's benefits to you in this life and also the life to come. Praise God. All right, so dads, let's read verse 4. Verse 4 is going to address you, and I'm going to elaborate on this a little. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So, Fathers, good and proper discipline is forged two ways. Okay, if, it, if it tells us to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the, that comes from the Lord, then we need to understand what that really is. So good and proper discipline is forged in two ways. Number one, learning to discipline yourself first. You can't be a good leader of people unless you are leading yourself first. Did I lose you on that one? You can't be a leader of people unless you lead yourself well first. Okay, lead by example. Secondly, uh, learning wisdom through the word of God will give you the wisdom and the discernment and the guidance to be able to guide other people. Praise God. So let me provide some insight here for you on how to instruct your children in the Lord. I'm not going to leave you to guess on this. I'm going to provide some very specific instructions and some, some wisdom that I've learned over the years um, on this point. So uh, let's talk about building that lasting godly legacy and passing the torch on to the next generation. And, and I want to begin this part of our discussion this morning by stating that 
I realize that, that guidance and discipline are two different things. I, I came to realize that, and I want you to realize that, that, that guidance and discipline are two completely different things. So let me elaborate on what I mean. Discipline is this, giving appropriate punishment for deliberate disobedience. See, when you tell your child to do something or not do something, and they step over the line and they transgress what you said, and they just do it anyway, that's rebellion. And those things need to be, of course, addressed. So giving appropriate punishment for deliberate disobedience. See, listen, folks, it's exasperating for a child uh, when the punishment doesn't match the crime. When the punishment is way worse than what maybe the crime deserves. Right? Or when the punishment is inconsistent. That's another way that you exasperate your children. When, when they can get away with something three or four times, and then all of a sudden you come down on them very, very hard for something that has been exasperating you, but you just have been too lazy to address it. And then you get a, let them get away with it two or three more times, and you come down hard on them again. And that's, that's inconsistent. That's confusing to a child. So that's exasperating for a child. You need to be consistent in your discipline. And I can tell you being consistent in discipline is hard work. I remember as my, as my kids were growing up, I remember coming home from a hard day's work and sitting in the recliner and then my children acting up and I'm going, oh, I just do not want to deal with this right now. But no, I have to be consistent. I'm going to. So they need consistency or, or else they won't learn. Okay, that's, that's exasperating for a child when the punishment is inconsistent and they never know from one day to the next how you're going to react to a certain situation. They need that consistency, praise God. All right, the next one is that we exasperate our children when dad is a hypocrite and he tells his children to do something that he's not willing to do himself. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you would agree with me that hearing a terrible profanity coming out of the mouth of a seven or eight year old is like, you're just like, almost like you just can't even process that? Because I've had that happen before where my kids heard something that somebody else said and then they repeated it. They're like seven or eight years old and I'm like, you just cannot handle that, right? The terrible profanity coming out of the mouth of one of your kids. Okay, so, all right, let me put this back in your lap. If it's mortifying for you to hear one of your children, little children, to utter a terrible profanity, why are you using that kind of language? Hello. See, I'm not going to go off on this topic right now, but I just believe that the, the language of God's people needs to reflect his holiness. And I just believe that cussing Christians need to get their mouths saved. I, I, I think that you need to have a, a Holy Ghost a Bible soap washing out of your mouth, right? Right? If, you, if you're mortified to have your seven or eight year old say something, you ought not be saying that yourself and set, setting terrible examples for them. Or, how about this one? Um, kids don't smoke. Now I'm going to go outside and have a smoke out on the... You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Okay? Now I realize that, you know, some people start smoking early in life. They get addicted. And then they can pass on to their, their children. Okay, kids, look. I started this when I was young. And I'm, a, I'm addicted to it. And I, I've had such trouble getting past this. Please don't put yourself in the same situation that I'm, that I'm now in. Okay, that's, a, that's one way to deal with it. But don't point your finger in your kid's face and say, don't smoke, and then go out to, on the back portion and light up. Right, that's hypocritical. Right, same thing with alcohol. You don't want your seven or eight-year-old, you know, sucking down a, a pint of Jack Daniels. Don't do it yourself. <laughs> right, set a good example. Okay, or how about the movies that you watch? Okay, if you don't want your kids, if you don't want your seven or eight-year-old walking in on you, watching some sort of trashy R-rated movie, or worse, on, on television, well, why are, you, why are you doing it? Set a better example for your children, is what I'm saying. See, you see, you can say 
all, you can say anything that you want, but if you don't lead by example, your children are going to follow what you do, not just what you say. Well, you got excited on that point right there, didn't you? You lead by example, folks. Set a better example for your children. Here's another way that we exasperate our children. Uh, For a child to be disciplined when they didn't know the standard ahead of time. Now, here's what I find that a lot of parents do. They won't take the time to train their children, but when their child acts up and embarrasses them in public, then all of a sudden they just like really uh, over... They're like, go overboard on their discipline because now they got embarrassed by their little one in public. That is not good parenting. Not good parenting. You train them ahead of time so they know what the standard is ahead of time, and you train and you retrain because repetition is the mother of learning. Now, I can tell you that my kids get exasperated probably with the repetition by which I tell them things. But I guarantee you they don't forget because I tell them over and over again. And when my younger kids were coming up, I mean, um, when they, I should say when they were younger coming up, um, we would remind them in the car, if we were going to a restaurant or a public place, we would remind them in the car before we got in that place, here's the standard, okay? Here's how we expect you to behave in this place. And, and, and so we let them know ahead of time, and that worked beautifully. But, you, but it's exasperating and wrong to not train your children ahead of time and then come down on them when they act in a way that, that you didn't want them to act. Okay? All right. So on that note then, let me give you the difference between discipline and guidance. Guidance is this, instructing your children in times of non-conflict. In other words, they're not in trouble They didn't do anything wrong, but you're instructing them now so that they know the standard ahead of time. You instruct them in times of non-conflict. That's guidance. That's teaching. That's instructing. So that involves, by the way, first-time correction. So so you you train them ahead of time. You give them the, the, the guidance ahead of time. And when they maybe forget or when they maybe have a, a weak moment and they act out anyway, okay, now you give them a first-time warning. They're not in trouble on that first time. You give them a first-time warning. Remember what we talked about, okay? This is your, this is your warning. And then the next time when they step over the mark, that's the time to bring in some discipline because they're either not paying attention enough to remember or else they're being just rebellious, and you have to deal more firmly with rebellion. All right, next one is this. Read with your children. Read with, because that provides instruction. Read good, instructive books with your kids, and that provides some instruction as well. Plus, kids just enjoy being read to. The little ones just enjoy being read to. Okay, so read with your children. All right, pushing on from there. Um, I want to talk just for a moment here specifically to, uh, to fathers regarding children. And then children, I'm going to follow up with talking to you regarding your fathers. Okay, so a little bit of instruction specifically to fathers here. First one is this. Endeavor to get better. Don't rest on your laurels. Endeavor to get better all the time. Get better as a father. Get better as a parent. We want to grow in the things of God. But especially where being a parent is concerned. And how do you do that? Well, you read books. Read books on parenting. Listen to audios on parenting. Go to conferences, family conferences on parenting. Donna and I did this a bunch. I don't know how many parenting books I've read. You know why? Because I had to. Because I didn't see great examples growing up. I I wasn't instructed a lot growing up. Um, You know, my parents were split up by the time I was six. I had nothing to base um, my parenting skills on. and And I knew that. So I read books, I listened to audios, and I'm, I'm still not the greatest parent out there, but man, I'm certainly a lot better than I would have had I never exposed myself to some of these materials, okay? So read books, listen to audios, go to conferences, just get better, just sharpen the sword, right? That's what you're doing here this morning, you're sharpening the sword, you're getting better as a man or a woman of God. And you're learning how to be a better parent and a better wife and husband just by being here listening to some of these teachings. And by the way, on that note, I've noticed in these, the, I didn't plan it this way, but the last probably two months of teachings, there's been something about marriage and family in almost every one of these teachings for the last two months. God cares about families. 
And, I, and like I said, I didn't even plan it that way. But God obviously loves families, cares about families, wants to preserve the family. So even though that the last series that we did was on holiness, there was a bunch of information in there on, on marriage and family. God loves families. Um, the next one is this, rear your kids in the church. Rear your kids in the church. And I, I want to just say this, rearing them in the church means consistency. Consistency is the key. You ought to have a high priority on the meeting of the church. And your kids need to see that. Your kids need to see you demonstrating a high priority on the things of God. Because if it's just a half-hearted type of priority, guess what your kids are going to do? They're going to grow up and they're going to make it a half-hearted priority or less. Because sometimes what your kids do, you'll, hold a, you'll have a standard right here and your kids will come up to like meet it halfway sometimes. Now, hopefully, your kids will come up to match your standards and even exceed them. And by the grace of God, that's what I did with the standards that I grew up with. By the grace of God, God helped me to exceed those standards because I didn't want to repeat. I didn't want this generational curse that I saw in my family to be passed on to the next generation. So I said, I said this, it stops with me. It stops with me. So hopefully your kids will have that kind of commitment to the things of God where, where they want to they stand on your shoulders and grow beyond where they, they see their parents growing. But that's not always going to be the case. So many kids come up to just right under where their parents... So if you don't have a strong commitment to the meeting in the church and the things of God, your, your kids are not going to have a very high priority on the things of God either if they even have a priority on the things of God at all. That's why I harp so much on consistency in your church attendance, consistency in private prayer, consistency in your own Bible study time. Consistency is the key to growth. Listen, consistency is the key to growth. You can't just do this once in a while. Look, if you're trying to to take off some weight or get get in better shape physically, you can't like restrict your diet like one day a week and eat trashy the rest of the week and think that's going to do anything for you. Or, or go to the gym and have a hard workout one day a week and then for the next two or three weeks you just lay around. You, you can't do it that way. Consistency is the key. And the same is true with our spiritual lives, ladies and gentlemen. Consistency is the key to growth. Praise God. Uh, in sports, you know, I'm, I've been, I know I've brought Drew up several times, but it's just been fascinating to me to watch his development as, a, as an athlete and a musician. Um, you know, as an athlete, you know, I didn't play basketball growing up, but in watching Drew, uh, I've been very, um, I've, I've noticed, I've honed in on the fact that the consistency of his practice, I mean, he doesn't let a day go by where he's not out shooting. Um, if he did, only did it two or three times a week, he, wasn't, he would not grow as an athlete. But the consistency and the hard work that he's putting in, he's developing as an athlete. I'm going, wow. I mean, like, you're really good compared to a year ago. Why? Consistency. Consistency. Okay? What's the next one? I want to address this for just a minute here. Praise versus criticism. Changing the ratio. What's that mean? Well, you know, it seems like a lot of parents do this. They will... They will, for every one time they praise their child, they'll criticize them five or ten times. You need to change that ratio. For every time that you criticize your children, you ought to be praising them five or ten times. Why? Because they need to be built up. They, they want to know that mom and dad loves them and, and believes in them. And if they don't believe that, then they get embittered. Right? So they need to know that they are loved unconditionally. And I know that my kids think that dad is gushy and mushy and probably over the top of my love. But you know what? They have no doubt about my love for them. They have no doubt about my love for them. They need to know that they are loved unconditionally. Praise God. Here's another one. Fathers, to your children, own it when you've blown it. What's that mean? Well, it means that, well, I, I have Proverbs 14.9 there as a reference. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Amen. Own it when you've blown it. So if you've blown it with your kids, you need to repent to your... Look, 
You need to repent to your children. I'm going to tell myself. Uh, one time when my older son, Luke, my older son, some of you don't know him. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. My older son, Luke, when he was about 16 years old, we were kind of sparring, right? We were just having fun. We were sparring, right? And just like slap boxing. And, you know, fathers and sons do that and have fun. But I was getting the best of him, and he was getting really frustrated. And now he started returning my open hand slaps with closed fist punches. And so I put him in a hold, and I wrestled him to the ground, and I pinned him to the ground. And he couldn't move. And he, got, he was, like, really angry and frustrated. And when I let him up, I realized what I'd done. I just damaged his developing manhood. That sense of developing manhood that he had, he, he, I just crushed it right then because I dominated him. I, I realized what I did, so I apologized to him later. I went to him and said, look, Luke, I'm really sorry for what I just did. That was wrong. So you need to own it when you've blown it because when you don't own it when you blow it, then you embitter your children and you exasperate them. Okay? Own it when you've blown it. See, demonstrate what repentance looks like. Demonstrate what humility looks like. It takes humility to repent to a child when you've blown it. But it's so important to do so for their own development and the preservation of your relationship. Is this okay? Are we, we tracking okay together? You all right? Okay, you're not zoning out on me, are you? Okay. All right. And uh, the last one is this, fathers to children. And children, I'm going to get to you in just a moment. Uh, but, but the last one on fathers to children, love their mother. Love their mother. Why do I say that? Because kids need to see mom and dad getting along. Kids need to see mom and dad getting along, or else it really impacts their emotional development. It really does. Moms and dads, you you really need to work on your marriages to make them happy, okay? Because that's so important for the health and development of your children. Okay, in fact, fathers, I want to, and, and husbands, I want to read you this passage from 1 Peter 3, 7. It says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Is there something that can hinder your prayers? Absolutely. The way you treat your wife can hinder your prayers. All right, we're coming down home stretch here, almost done. But now, kids, I want to talk to you. Regarding your fathers, okay? And this, is your, this goes for adult kids as well, okay? But especially kids that live in the home. Um, the first piece of instruction is this. Don't be an excuse maker. Kids, you too need to own it when you've blown it. That's called adulting, okay? Own it when you've blown it. Uh, don't be an excuse maker. Be a bigger person than that. Okay, you need to be able to own it when you blow it now so that when you get out into the marketplace and have a job and you make a little mistake and your your boss calls you on it. What they do not want to hear is a list of excuses. They want to hear, I'll do better next time. All right. So own it when you've blown it. Don't be an excuse maker. Uh, Second one is this. Uh, Express your love and thankfulness often and generously to your moms and dads. Okay, listen, there's nothing so sweet to the ears of a parent than when a child says to them, Mom, Dad, thank you for, and fill in the blank, or Dad, I love you, without Dad having to say it first. It's very endearing. The next one, if necessary, be the bigger person and love the unlovely. And I'm talking about Parents that have severely violated and wronged you. If necessary, love the unlovely. See, demonstrate what true grace and charity looks like. Now, that word charity, I'm using the, the old King James version of what's been translated um, into some of the newer versions, uh, uh, the word love. But what charity means, charity has a little bit of a different uh, angle on what that means. The charity simply means love in action. Love in action. See, Jesus said it like this. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? 
don't even sinners do that? So you need to have a higher standard than that, praise God. Now I want to end with this right here, and this is a message, this, this picture here is a message to both parent and child. So you're looking at a statue there of a father holding hands with his son, and you notice all the, the big holes all over the body of the father, but th- then look at the, the statue of the child. Well, so the, the statue of the son was made from pieces removed from the statue of the father. Representing what parents do to build the lives of their children. In other words, you as a parent, you give away so much of yourself to your children. Being a parent is very self-sacrificing. It's very self-sacrificing. So fathers, that's your calling. And mothers too, that's your calling. To give yourself away to your children. It's very self-sacrificing. And children, it's your obligation to honor that sacrifice right there. I'm going to say that again. Children, young and older, it's your obligation to honor that sacrifice right there. Praise God. Let me also say as we end here that we have a perfect heavenly father. And once again, for those of you that did not have very good earthly fathers, we have a heavenly father that can make up all the difference. You know, I know what it's like to grow up and have holes in your heart and deficiencies in your life that would not have been there had your family been more healthy. I know what that's like. But God can make up all the difference and fill all the holes and soothe and heal all the, the hurts and the pains and do something so beautiful and so remarkable with your life that you wouldn't even believe it. But you've got to stay close to his side. You've got to pursue him with all of your heart. And you're looking at somebody who did want to die as a young person. I wanted to die. As I grew up into a a young man, I was very angry. Very, very angry. Just seething anger. And I'm I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail except to say I was a mess because of the fact that I grew up in such a dysfunctional family setting. But what God has done for me, he's no respecter of persons. It's not not like, you know, I I, I think more of Andy than some of you other people. Not at all. My goodness, if, if you will give him your whole self and pursue him with all your heart, he will bring beauty for ashes and do something remarkable with your life as you just submit yourself to him. Stand and pray with me, please. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.